Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Welcome, church. Thank you guys for showing up on the first good. Is it still raining outside? Is it sunny? Awesome. First good day of summer. (laughs) It was raining earlier this morning. It's been chilly. Not a normal summer. Um, I want to expand on our announcements just a little bit. These are in your row. Um, If you're interested in signing up for a group, Our groups are out there today. You can actually talk with group leaders. Um, There's one group that's not listed in here I want to tell you about. It's games. Every other week, they're going to be here uh, in this room over here. Sign up. And I also want to plug my own group, which I can do since I have the microphone. It is called Bugs in Your Teeth. And it is about riding motorcycles, four-wheelers, side-by-sides, any type of anything We're going to have two versions. One is an on-road version. You want to bring your Jeep, your convertible, your car, just roll the windows down, fine. That's our main objective, big breakfast and pie. We will ride anywhere for big breakfast and pie. And then we're doing trails, so we've got a whole two sets. So sign up. We'll uh, let you know the details of, of what's going on there. So summer's officially begun. Kids are out of school. We got some people have already taken vacations. All their Facebook photos made everybody jealous. How many of you have a trip planned this summer? A road trip, vacation? How many of you are just trying to get out of town? Doesn't even matter where you, yeah, just a road trip somewhere. My dad, growing up, was the road trip king. He loved road trips more than anything. I have a picture here. Let's put this picture up. This is back in the 80s. This is not the exact vehicle, but we had a Chevy Suburban. We had the early 80s, and we had one from the late 80s. So this one kind of splits the difference. And this was our trip vehicle. Show, Show the picture of the inside so that the younger people know what a dash looks like. This is a dash that does not have a screen in it. There's nothing in here is computerized. I know it seems strange. Vehicles can run without computers. If you want to change the radio station, you have to turn the knob, and there's a little red thing that moves across. Some of you are like, why were we looking at this picture? This is our trip vehicle of my dreams and my imaginations. When I think about going on trips, the back of this Suburban was sleeping bag heaven. 
we had sleeping bags, pillows. My, all my sister's dolls and all that were back there. My dad even figured out how to put a TV in the back. Small TV. The screen was about this big, and the TV was about that deep. It was huge. And he rigged it up in the very back so that he could drive and look in the rearview mirror and watch the TV. I kid, I kid you not. We drove halfway across the U.S. with my dad watching movies from the 80s that we rented in Blockbuster and brought with us on the trip. And he's watching in the rearview mirror. My dad had these rules. Our family had rules for taking a road trip. Number one, the driver picks the music. There's no two ways about that. The driver's always going to pick the music. Yes. We got the road trip loyalist over here. My, if my kid's going to touch the radio, the finger's getting lost here. Second, second rule here is the co-pilot feeds the driver. If we stopped, my mom was the one to take the burger out, take it out of the wrapper, give it to my dad, and my dad would just kind of grin and eat his burger. Sometimes he would say, I need a shake. She would... Be, Give him the shake, and he would sip out of the shake. The third rule, the family made up. My dad didn't have a choice in this. And the rule was my dad couldn't take his shoes off <laughs> because his feet stank so bad, we had to roll the windows down. So I could be in the back. This Suburban's like 50 feet long. I would be in the very back, and he could kick his shoes off quietly, and we would know. We would all know. So we made a rule. Dad couldn't take his shoes off. And my dad was the fun one on a trip. Whenever we took a family vacation, he was the fun one. My mom was always one breath away from Mount St. Helens explosion blowing her top. And, and I, there, there is some um, reasoning for that. If you go to Exhibit A, um, this is the gator grabber. My dad, for some reason, thought this would be fun for let the kids play with on the road trip. And so he would buy these at little roadside stands, wherever we were. And guess who gets to play with it? I do. And I don't have any control over what this thing says. It has a mind of its own. My mom also did not like ear grabs with the alligator. But the alligator had a taste for ears. Exhibit B for why my mom was not the best on road trips, road trips is, okay, in the 80s was the best time for Saturday Night Live. It was the golden era. My favorite was Eddie Murphy, and especially his character of Buckwheat. And <laughs> I could not get his catchphrase out of my head. Buckwheat say. Okay. And for a few months, every response that I gave to every question, okay. And my mom, it just drove her nuts. And so we're on this trip, we're on this trip one time, and it's this a particular McDonald's parking lot in my memory. And I open the door to bebop into McDonald's and get lunch. 
and I'm met with a mountain of a mother who pinches and twists and says, I do not want to hear you say that again. Okay. I got whippings in public all the time. That's the way we grew up in the 80s. Go to this next picture. I photoshopped this. This is the dash of the 1985 Suburban Chevy. And um, this is a sunrise picture. And I photoshopped it pretty good, except for the fact that we're driving in the middle of the road. I'm not sure why I would do driving in the middle of the road. But my dad did not like to go on a trip anywhere if we didn't leave before the sun came up. That's the rules of the trip. We got to leave. We got to pack up. We got to be on the road by 4.30. We need to be out of town before the ball of gold comes up in the sky. And it was just something special my dad liked doing. And I, honestly, I got into it because my mom and my sisters would all sleep in the back. They've got sleeping bags later. This is before seatbelts, right? Before seatbelts were required. Everybody's sleeping in the back. Me and my dad in the front seat together. This is the guy who knows everything. This is the guy who can fix anything. This is the guy who's been places. And so I start asking questions. How do you know if a baby is a boy or a girl when it's born? And dad's like, let's listen to some music. Yeah, yeah. My, my favorite time was when the sun started to come up. Because as the sun started to come up, you started to realize, oh, there's, there's houses out here. There's people here. And they're just now waking up. And we've been rolling through the countryside at 70 miles an hour for an hour now. And it's like we've been alive and they're just now waking up. And it was some special. And it makes you, when you get outside of town, outside of your regular role, outside of your regular business as usual, it changes your perspective, right? And you're able to look at your life a little bit differently and, and determine, am I who I want to be? What do I need to change? And I want to encourage you, some of you are going to be on trips. You're going to get outside your normal routine. And I want you this summer to think about this. When you're watching the sun go down somewhere different, you're watching a stream or a lake somewhere, somewhere different, I want you to think about what's the big picture here? What's the point of all this? Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The person who wakes up each day who travels to work, returns at the day's end, watches TV, goes to bed, and repeats the process for his entire life, is living a life that is more miserable than a donkey's. And at least the donkey knows what he's supposed to be doing. <clears throat> My son, when he was probably five years old, um, putting him to bed one night, and he starts crying. And he says, it's just so sad. 
And I said, what's, what's so sad? And he said, every day we wake up, we eat breakfast, we go to school, we come back, we play, we go to sleep, and then we do the same thing the next day. And it's so sad. And I thought, this kid is having an existential crisis at five years old. He's already looking down the barrel of this going, what is the point of life? What is the purpose of my existence? Mm -hmm. Considering what we know, what we have experienced in life, the good and the bad and the ugly, I think we do have to look at the big question and say, how should I live? What am I here for? I've been around Christians a long time, a couple of decades, and I've been around Christians from all over the U.S., and I'm constantly asking them, and other people, not just Christians, but I'm constantly asking people, why do you think we exist? And I know some of you know me, and you're like, yeah, you're the guy that catches people in the kitchen at a party. And while somebody's just coming in to get potato salad, you're going, do you know why you live? Have you figured out your purpose in life? And I'm asking these deep existential questions and someone's like, I just want potato salad and to get away from you. My, my experience with Christians it has been when I, when I ask a lot of them, like, have you figured out why we're here? And uh, what's the point and here's, here's the general response. We are here to get saved. We're here to meet Jesus. And early on in my conversations when I was younger, I would be like, that's it? Like, there's no, like, I'm trying to get real information. I'm saying, that's all there is? Well, I've already experienced that. What next? Surely there's got to be more than this. When we've done the story of God, we ask everybody in the very beginning, your, what's your earliest experience with the supernatural or the something spiritual or even just a spiritual thought? And it's funny how a lot of people, even as kids, look around at their life and they're like, I hope there's more than this. Anybody ever heard of the traveling cowboy preachers? They ride into town, six guns on their side. One of them preaches and the other one with his hand on his pistol. They have people come up to the front, pray for them to get saved. They baptize them and the one with the pistol shoots them when they come out of the water. No backsliders. Their opinion was... If your whole purpose in life, did you get it this time, Jessica? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Their opinion was, if our whole purpose in life is to get saved, have an experience with God, why should we live any longer? And I think some of us have, have kind of fallen into a rut, and I think we need to take a road trip and reevaluate why we're here. Why are we still here? We've been saved for a long time. Some of you may have been saved for decades. Why are you still here? That's a good question. Is there more to this life 
course there is. I love this quote by Cornell West. If you had put that up here, he says, I want to get this right. He says, you are made in the image of God. You're a featherless, two-legged, linguistically conscious creature born between urine and feces. That's us. One day, your body will be the culinary delight of terrestrial worms. You know that. Be honest. Put on your three-piece suit if you want to, but that's not armor against death. The question is, who are you going to be in the meantime, in this time and space? You don't get out of time and space alive. And the poet Mary Oliver, she said, what are you going to do with your one short life? So on a Sunday morning this summer, are we ready to jump into a big question? Yeah. Yeah. Let's stay in this journey mindset here, and we're going to go to the book of Galatians. Paul, this is in the New Testament, Paul is writing a letter to a group of people that he absolutely loved in a town called Galatia. He was the one that taught them the gospel. He taught them the good news that there was a God named Jesus who loved his creation, creation his humans, and he came to rescue us. He saw them unite together around the life that Jesus was offering them. One by one, as believers were formed, from an unbeliever to a believer, they started gathering in small gatherings, and they became a church. When you read Paul's letter, it's years later, and it's very, it's very clear that he is bent out of shape. He is angry. He is mad. He's very disappointed. And he's angry because they've gotten off track. Has anybody ever felt like they got off track? These people that Paul loved and had seen be transformed by the gospel, have gotten so far off track, they're no longer living out their purpose. Paul doesn't beat around the bush. He calls them fools because they have walked away from the life that Jesus was really offering them. These people that Paul loved so much, had given, and he'd given years of his life to them, but they have lost sight of what life is all about. He's writing to a church that's wrestling with what it means to be a Christian. They were confused about what the Christian life looks like. His answer is pretty blunt. What he does, I love his tactic here. What he does is, he does the same thing Jesus does. When Jesus is confronted with something, he wants to get really down to the bare bones of a situation. He's like, let me sum up scripture for you. We know there's two things that Jesus said. What were they? What was the first one? Love God with all your whole heart, soul, mind, strength. That's with every aspect of your being. And he said, and the second is like it, which is what? Love others. Love your neighbor the same way. So that means with every aspect of your body, you're loving other people.
people. It's not just emotional. It's not just mental. And so Paul uses what Jesus taught, and he gives it a little twist. Let's go to Galatians 5. Start, he, Paul's a little bit different. He starts with loving people first. And he says, for the entire law, the Bible, okay, the Old Testament, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he explains loving God. Um, but it's a little different than the way Jesus did it. Let's go to Galatians 5.16. And he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And whenever you see in Scripture, you see a capital S. Do you know what that means? It's the Holy Spirit. So you're walking by God's Spirit. Walk by the Holy Spirit. And you will not, and if it's a lowercase s, what is it? Human spirit or evil spirit. Sometimes the same. Mm-hmm. He says, so I say walk by the spirit. This is God's spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or you will not be selfish. For the flesh, selfishness, desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying... If you want to walk in the Spirit, it will make you less selfish. And that's what God wants. He's trying to make it simple. He's not trying to be complicated. Um, so let's look at how Paul explains this. Let's go to Galatians 5, 19. Uh, now this translation is the message, so it's going to be a little bit different than, than you may have in NIV or New King James. But I absolutely love it because it's using different words. It really helps us grasp what he's talking about. So he's talking about what it is to walk in the Spirit by juxtaposing it with what it is to be selfish. And he says this, It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your way all the time. Acts of the flesh. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, an all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or even be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits. This one's the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. Paul says, this isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. And I know some of us have been taught, oh, this means if you live this way, you're not going to go to heaven when you die. It's not what this is talking about. Remember when Jesus explained to the people where the kingdom of heaven was, the kingdom of God? He says that it was where? In you. He said nobody's going to say, hey, look, there's the kingdom. Or look, it's over there. They're going to say... He's going to say no because it's in you. And the word kingdom is two words smashed together. 
It's the king's domain. It is that area that God rules. And he's like, I don't, I'm not looking at physical stuff. I'm looking at inside of you. I want to rule inside of you because that is where the seat of our emotions, the deciding part of our life sits. And God says, that's the part I want. That's the part that calls the shots. Paul goes on in verse 22. And he's, he's just talked about what a selfish life, was, what life will produce. And now he's talking about what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, like on the cross, like they, they imagine Jesus on the cross. He says, they have crucified the flesh, their selfishness, with its passions and desires. And he says, he sums it up this way, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. As the Spirit is moving, we need to be following. As the Spirit is guiding, we need to yield. I love in the, the message version of this, verse 25 says it this way. It says, since this is the kind of life we've chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but help us to work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That's the work of the Spirit. But it takes yielding to that. It takes giving in to that. Jesus said in John 15, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Paul, if, Paul's really plagiarizing Jesus a whole lot. Because Jesus keeps coming up with these great analogies and these good ideas. And Paul's like, that's a good one. I'm going to use that one too. I'm going to use that one too. So look at what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Paul's like, I'm, I'm taking that. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. So what happens when a branch falls off a tree because it's not connected to its source. And Jesus is saying, you're the same way. If you're not connected to me, you're not good for anything. This is to be my Father's glory, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. What is he saying? People are going to know you're my disciples because you're bearing fruit. The only way you're going to bear fruit is if you walk in the Spirit. Hmm. Some people get freaked out by this term of walking in the Spirit. Okay, I've been around enough to know. Like, I lived for God all my life. Yeah, but whenever we talk about Spirit stuff, you back up. <laughs> you remember the movie, The Young Guns? Okay, it's an 80s movie. Sorry for another 80s reference. In this, Billy the Kid and his compadres are lost, and they're trying to find direction. Where should they go? And so their conclusion is, we need to get answers from the spirit world. 
And so they do this by getting high on peyote. Of course, that makes sense. And so while they're high on peyote, they're riding their horses and they're going through uh, an Indian village. And one of the guys looks and he goes, why aren't they killing us? And the other guy says, we're in the spirit world. They can't see us. That's not what walking in the spirit is. That's not, it's not that. I think sometimes we make it out to be, yeah, <laughs> you're visible. I can see you. You're right there. Yeah. The rest of this summer, uh, our church is going to be focusing on the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit will produce in people who are walking in the Spirit. So I want to touch on one, and that is the fruit of love, which will be produced when you're walking in the Spirit. Now, I want to give a disclaimer real quick. Um, have you ever, you ever heard the song Proud Mary? Left a good job in the city working for the man? Okay, yeah. Ike and Tina Turner did a cover of this song. <clears throat> and in the intro, Tina Turner says, Every now and then, I think you probably want to hear something from us that's nice and easy. She, There's just one problem, she said. We never ever do nothing nice and easy. She says, we always do it nice and rough. She said, we're going to take the beginning of the song. It's going to be easy. And then we're going to do the finish rough. And so they start into the music. And I want to let you know, when, when we're talking about the love of God, loving other people, there's certain aspects that are nice and easy. And then there's other parts that are rough. I'm just warning you. 1 John 4. No, hold on just a second. I do want to add this. There's a lot of people, when we start talking about love, they, they respond with this. I, I'm not one of those. I don't feel it like you feel it. I'm like, I don't feel it either. I just make up my mind to bless somebody or take care of somebody. There's a lot of people that think it's just an emotion that comes on you that you can't control. And that is the obvious, not what Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus can't command something of you that you can't control it or not. That's not fair. So this is something that we can control. I had, uh, I had a mentor who once said, you know, I've never fallen in love. He said, I've stepped it in a few times, but I've never fallen into it. So what is this love? And I want to address four things here. It's compassion, friendship, selflessness, and commitment. All of those are products of your human will. Here's the cool thing is that when you're walking in the Spirit, it will be produced in you. God will do that. So let's go to 1 John 4 and 20. John, these, these apostles were hard hitters. John says, if anyone boasts and says, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. 
We got Paul telling people they're fools. And we have John telling people they're liars. They're, they're really calling a spade a spade. He says, if he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the, uh, God who he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. So the question comes up, how do we love, how do we live this Christian life in the 21st century in this community? Let's jump into it. First one, when we walk in the Spirit, we will love ourselves well. Jesus said that we need to love others as we love ourselves. And some of us need to read the fine print that says God loves you. God values you. And God wants to work things out for your good. If we loved each other as we love ourselves, I think we would treat each other like trash a lot of the times. Because we don't believe the gospel. We think God will save other people, but I'm too much. I'm not enough. I am different. That is not true. It's not true. Until we truly and deeply believe that God loves us, we will not be able to value other people well. So what does this look like to to love ourselves well? And love... (laughs) Loving yourself well doesn't mean that you pamper yourself. Some people are like, oh, finally, I'm going to love myself. They're starting to spend some serious money. It's not putting yourself first. It's not putting yourself above others. It simply means you get your value, your worth from the one who made you, And the one who died to prove his love for you. How much more do you need? How much more proof do we need? Next one. We've got five here. When we walk in the spirit, we will love our families well. This one's simple, but it's not easy. If you have parents, honor them. Honor them. If you have parents that are older and may be regressing and they're difficult to deal with, honor them. Ephesians 5, Paul says, Husbands, Love your wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the kind of love we've got to have for our wives. He said, wives, dedicate yourself to your husbands in the same way you dedicate yourself to God. It's a parallel dedication. First Timothy, uh, Paul is writing, this is First Timothy 5 and 8. Paul's writing to a young pastor of a small church, and there's people in the church that are not taking care of their families. And Paul says, if they have the capacity and the capability to take care of their families and they don't, they are worse than an unbeliever because their faith is worthless. 
So if we have the capacity, the capability to take care of our family, to be there for our kids, be there for our spouse, show the love and the support, we should do it. There's another verse in, in the Old Testament that talks about kids, and it's a weird, weird verse, and it talks about having a quiver full of kids. And the comparison is comparing kids to arrows. Uh, and at first, we may think, well, that's weird. But, I mean, you think about how war is done back then. War is won with the archers a lot of the time. And he's comparing your children like arrows and the parents set the trajectory of the children and launch them into the, into the world. And wherever they land, they will be a lot like the parents. Will they be doing good or will they be doing bad? Because our influence on our kids is going to just replicate in the earth. So we need to love those kids When we walk in the Spirit, we will love our faith family well. This is the church, okay? Galatians 6 and 1, he says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those that belong to the family of believers. And I think our culture has it backwards. We're like, I'm going to do good to everybody except those in the church. They can take care of themselves. And the reason why is because a lot of us have been hurt by church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even us. I'm a, I'm a leader in the church. I've been hurt by church. But at some point, we have to look at this and go, God is calling us beyond this. Because we are putting the productivity and the power of the church on hold while people hold the church at an arm's length. And we say, I love Jesus, I just don't care for the church. If you see, okay, here's the calling. If you see problems in the church and areas that need to be fixed and, and improved, jump in. Jump in. Have a good attitude about it, but jump in. We want help. We are God's chosen instrument in the earth to bless people. And it starts with teaching them about truth, teaching them about salvation, teaching them about how God wants them to live. Hmm. Next, when we walk in the Spirit, we will love the outsiders. So all throughout the Bible, there's this constant reminder of taking care of widows, orphans, strangers, outsiders, immigrants, those that can't take care of them themselves. And it is a measure of faith that God says, hey, you want to measure how well you're doing? This is it right there. So what does this look like in our culture? What does this look like in 21st century Jesus is wanting us to give special attention to those who don't look and don't think like we do. Okay, buckle your seatbelts. It's about to get rough. Church family, this is where we take up our cross and follow him. 
if we here in Nampa won't show love to people who get abortions or liberals or Californians or transgender or anything else that you think is wrong, that very hatred, that resistance to love them is a fruit of a spirit, but it is not fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is evidence that we are not keeping in step with what the Spirit is wanting to do. We're to love. We're to love. Okay. Good. Last one. When we walk in the Spirit, we will love our enemies. Remember what the Apostle John said. He said, if if we don't love a person who we can see, we are lying to ourselves if we think we can love God who we can't see. This is like a spiritual bypass. Our spirituality and our we love God is worthless if we hate. Let me quote a little bit of Jesus here on this. Jesus said, To you who are ready for the truth, I'm going to say this. Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat. Live generously. This is good. That's Jesus. He's speaking to the core issue of humanity. It's how we treat people we don't get along with. And if we're honest, we haven't been living that way. If we're honest, we don't even fully believe that way. If we're honest, we realize we haven't been raising our kids that way. And what we're doing here is a call to say, we are going to walk in the Spirit, and we are going to keep in step with the Spirit, and this is what the Spirit is saying to us. We need to learn how to love better. We need to learn how to love the unlovable, as Jesus said it. If you would stand, the band can come. I mean, I, I know, I know there's, I know enough of you well enough to know you're going, yeah, but I'm different. I don't even like people. I don't even want to be here right now. I'm not a good person. And I'm going to tell you, you're right. You can't, you're not going to be able to do this alone. There, there's got to be a, a secret sauce to help you do that. And I'm going to tell you, that secret is the Spirit. We can't do this alone. Did you know that today is the day that we celebrate what's called Pentecost Sunday? 2000, a little over 2,000 years ago, Jesus promised his disciples 
hey, I'm giving you a task. I want you to go into the earth and I want you to tell people about me. And the disciples were like, we ran away a month ago when you got arrested. How are we going to go into the whole world and tell people about you? And he said, don't do anything until you go receive the Spirit first and then go. And when they received the Spirit on this day, 2,000 years ago, they received an empowerment and an inspiration to go and do what they could not normally do. The very fact that you are sitting in this room is a testimony of a bunch of losers 2,000 years ago that Jesus chose and says, they will work. I can use these people. And you know what the scripture says? People saw them coming into their town and they said, we've heard about these people. They, have, they are the ones who have turned the whole world upside down. That is us right now, keeping in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit is saying, I want to use you to turn the world upside down. But it's going to take love. Whatever you have in your mind, put to the side. It's going to take love. going to take love. That's how we know we're walking in the Spirit. If you would, I would love for you to be, get yourself into a spiritual posture of yielding to God, to receive something. Can I, some of you, takes a minute to get there. But I want to pray that we receive this calling that God is giving us, this commission that God is giving us. In Jesus' name, Lord, I I pray that you move in this room right now and you stir up our hearts. Stir up our hearts that this is what life is all about. There is no other meaning outside of our love for other people because of our faith in you. Plant that seed deep inside of us, Lord. Stir it up in us. Stir up our faith. Stir up our willingness. Stir up our willingness. I have one last thing to share with you. If you could put that up on the board, please. Some of you are wondering, like, what's my next step? How do I do this? It's not easy, but it's simple. Step out in the little faith that you have, that you might have and start loving people like you've not done before. And I'm not saying go start a campaign and go do something big. I'm just saying step out in that little bit of faith that you have and do something you've not done before. Have a conversation with someone, but before you do it, pray, Lord, give me the right words and the right time to have this conversation with this person. Lord, give me the right attitude for working with this person and I'd like to be able to tell them about you. Give me the right time, attitude, motive, all of that. Step out in the little faith you may have. Start loving people like you've never done before. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. 
If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.